0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. My Believe in Broncos podcast is presented by my friends at Superbook Sports. And now the world-famous Superbook Sports is coming to the Lodge Casino in Blackhawk. Soon you can get right into the heart of the action. Join them Friday, June 25th for the grand opening of the Superbook at the Lodge Casino. Catch all the games on their state of the art TVs in the comfort of this traditional sports book. Superbook Sports is known for better odds, favorable pricing, and an extensive wagering menu focusing on your Colorado teams. Now the Lodge Casino is your first place for fun and for sports. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 for help. Welcome to the Believe in Broncos Podcast. I am your host, Troy Rink, from Denver 7, and it's another toasty summer day, record-breaking heat in the Denver metro area. So I hope you're all staying cool out there, staying hydrated. It just gives me another excuse to avoid chores like mowing the lawn, trimming trees and bushes, all stuff that I am terrible at, but are a necessity at times. But With this heat, I get a break from that. And I have more time to do my podcast in the air-conditioned office of my home. And let's go down the topics today. Number one topic, are we still talking about this? Really? I'll get to that in a second. Then I also want to mention uh, a huge award for the Broncos uh, regarding their community involvement. And finally, the bulk of this pod will be Nick Kosmider and I breaking down the Broncos offseason, what we learned And looking forward to training camp. I've known Nick for several years when he first started covering the Rockies. My good friend Thomas Harding. Nick then did some hoops, uh, covered a lot of nuggets. And then he returned to the NFL beat with the Broncos for the Athletics. So looking forward to that. I know you guys will enjoy Nick and I chopping it up on what we've seen from these Broncos over the last couple of months. But the first topic is simple. Are we really talking about this? The Broncos were given a field day on Thursday by Coach Vic Fangio. I know, based on my reporting, it was in the works. Fangio was asked about it on Wednesday, and he said, no, they were still planning on having practice. But I was told he wanted to surprise them, and he did at their Thursday morning meeting, that instead of practicing, they would have a field day. This would involve three-point shooting contest, home run derby, uh, things of that nature, uh, a dunk take, Uh, to take out your frustration uh, and those kind of things. And I I really don't understand why members of the media find this offensive and are somehow um, bothered by this. And I, I say this for two things. One, the off season in football is so different. This isn't taking a training camp practice off. It's a mandatory mini camp practice off. Could you get work done that day? Yes. But It's built in where that extra work was done throughout this process to allow for this off day. It is also, as someone who's coached kids from ages 6 through 18 in multiple sports, including football, basketball, and baseball, certainly baseball, I coached for 15 years, there are times as a coach you know the pulse of your players. And you know that you want to give them a reward. Kind of humanize yourself, but also give them a chance to bond, have a little fun at the facility, and it's a reward for hard work. Now, if they've had an awful off-season, then you say, you know what? You don't deserve this. We're going to practice to the last minute. Uh, and then you can go off to your parts unknown for the next five, six weeks before training camp begins on June, excuse me, July 27th. But this is something that Vic Fangio did two years ago. I made light of it, and and you can see on my Twitter feed, at Troy Rink, I had my own personal field day in 2019, where, if memory serves, I won the closest to the pin contest, my own home run derby, and I gave myself a trophy. I kid because I care. A coach knows the pulse of his team. This is a reward. These practices are essentially, if you take out stretching, they're about an hour. It's not like... Vic Fangio said, we are going to have an eight hour work day today, and then now we're going to go a, a no day, not even a half day. It is a reward. I trust that he knows the pulse of his players. He knows what the practices have looked like. You give him that carrot at the end of all this. It reminds them that, hey, coach knows. He sees us working hard. This sends us into the offseason, a nice bonding activity. Go into the offseason, come back ready for training camp. I don't see why there is a single issue with this. I don't want to hear about the record haven't done well the last five years. Trust me, I know. I've covered every one of these games since they've missed the playoffs for five straight years. I've covered the four straight losing seasons. So the first time this has happened since 62, excuse me, 63 to 1972. But one more hour mandatory minicamp practice is not going to determine whether this team has a winning season or goes to the playoffs. I am all for the field day. I've seen what it can do for camaraderie, for relationships, a little bit of bond building before you leave to, again, parts unknown for six weeks. So I have no problem with that. The Broncos off the field received a huge nomination. I'll talk about that after the break. My show is presented in part by Hoggett Injury Law. With us, it's personal. Speaking of personal, let me tell you about my friend Darby Hoggett. I've known Darby for about a decade, coached his son in travel baseball. We used to hang out at games, talk about sports, especially the Denver Broncos. He's a big fan. We have become good friends. In fact, many of his clients have become his good friends. You don't even have to pay Darby up front. If your case goes as planned, Darby will be the one writing checks to you. If you've been hurt in a car wreck or injured at work, give his team a call at one 833 hoggett That's one 833 833 T -T or find out more, visit their website at www.hogatlaw.com. For the second consecutive year, the Broncos were named a finalist for ESPN's 2021 Sports Humanitarian of the Year Award. That was announced this week. Again, they were nominated also uh, the previous year. And what a nomination. And this is a credit to the community work the Broncos do. And if you've... Let me take two, take two. Welcome back to the program. I am your host, Troy Rank from Denver 7. And about that award, the Broncos were nominated for. This is an award you don't strive for. You don't do community work to get awards. But the Broncos have been so good at it, they've been recognized for the second consecutive year. They have been named a finalist for ESPN's Sports Humanitarian of the Year Award, that was announced on Thursday. Uh, it's given to a sports franchise that demonstrates how teamwork can create a measurable impact on a community or a cause. The Broncos are a finalist for the second consecutive year. They joined the Atlanta Dream of the WNBA, uh, the New York City Football Club of Soccer, to, and the Toronto Blue Jays as nominees. Again, the Broncos were nominated a couple, uh, last year as well and they do countless hours of community service, work in the community. I was just at a community event. They held the March for Peace around the Mount Bellow neighborhood, starting at the Boys and Girls Club uh, to bring attention to the good things that can happen in that neighborhood. So you don't just see that neighborhood when it's something uh, revolving you know, in a murder or a crime. There's a lot of good going on in that community, and those kind of events happen throughout the year with the Broncos. And this was a challenging year for them because they did a lot of these community events, as you know, via Zoom. And then as the restrictions were lifted, you saw guys going to food kitchens, to homeless shelters. Uh, Justin Simmons does amazing work with his foundation, Brandon McManus, Dalton Reisner, Tim Patrick. I mean, over 96 Broncos participated in a community event uh, last year, which resulted in the nomination for this award. You know, and I talked to Allie Inglekin, the executive director of Broncos Community Development, and, and they're honored. And her sense is just a sense of pride, a pride in the work they do off the field. It does matter to them. And I know some roll their eyes at this, and all they care about is the on-field product. I understand where some people come from. I just, in this case, I'm telling you, the last five years covering this team, I've never seen a franchise more involved the off-field activities in the community as the Broncos. And that goes back to the days of Chris Harris, uh, Broncos like that uh, through Justin Simmons. And again, now the Dalton Reisner's of the world, even Quinn Miners has already done stuff in the community and his own community back in Wisconsin. So congratulations to the Broncos for being nominated for the second consecutive year for the ESPN's humanitarian team award so well good luck they will find out on July 24th if they have won that award Uh, again they are a nominee along with uh, three other teams a couple other teams so we'll see how it turns out for the Broncos when we come up after the break I tell you who the guest is going to be on my podcast and you get an idea of someone I like I like chopping it up with known this guy for years but first are you hungry Feeling hungry? Well, how about some Moink meat? It is delicious. Just check out the reviews on this product. Join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V, right now. And listeners to my show get free bacon for a year with every box order. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but it's for a limited time. It's spelled Moink, M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. That's moinkbox.com slash believe. Welcome back to the Believe in Broncos podcast. I am your host, Troy Rank from Denver 7, and it is my pleasure now to be joined by Nick Kosmider from The Athletic. Uh, We go to this interview. I hope you enjoy it. Nick and I chopping it up, talking about the Broncos offseason, how to look, who jumped out to us, and what lies ahead. Can this team finally turn the corner and return to relevance? Welcome back to the Believe in Broncos podcast. I'm your host, Troy Rank from Denver 7. I am joined by my man, Nick Kosmider. Nick, how the heck are
1: you? I'm great, Troy, man. It's good to, uh, it's good to be with you. It feels full circle uh, a little bit to uh, to be doing this with you.
0: Yeah, Nick uh, is at The Athletic. You check out his stuff there. He does amazing work, uh, especially some of the long story, the long uh, – Long-form journalism, you don't see as much anymore. His Kendall Hinton story, for one, was one of the best ones I read all last year. And the Drew Locke story on his recruiting uh, as a basketball player. Nick tweeted that out today. Definitely uh, follow Nick uh, at at The Athletic. But it's weird because you and I are covering football now, Nick. And most people or many know you from basketball. And I met you when you were covering baseball.
1: (laughs) I know. And I was was just thinking about this, that it's been – it's been ten years. I met you in 2011. I was an intern with MajorLeagueBaseball.com, um, working with uh, Thomas Harding over there, covering Rockies. The I was straight out of college, um, and yeah, that's where you and I met. And uh, yeah, it's wild just to kind of see those how those paths sort of wind. Um, to, to kind of end up in this same place covering covering the Broncos all these years later. It's uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It's to, uh, you know, that, that's just the way the careers go here, I guess.
0: Yeah. What do you remember about working with my man, Thomas Harding? Uh, he is at times the funniest, uh, uh, confusing, onerous, happiest. <laughs> He's all these emotions in one. I miss Thomas. One of the reasons I miss covering baseball is just sitting in the press box, the banter he and I used to have. Uh, I still, to this day, I miss it. What do you remember about working with Thomas?
1: Yeah, I mean, t- like t- to have that be your first um, sort of experience covering professional sports, um, you know, I was so lucky to have him because, you know, he- he's this guy that he's disarming in the way that like he is, um, you know, just kind of goofy and fun. And-, and and I think that you saw how that like played not only in the locker room, but just among his his colleagues, which as you go longer in this business, you realize how important that is too. Um, but also just, um, but then like he could turn that, turn that all around and be a really good kind of um, you know, mentor. He's a sharp writer and, and um, yeah, it, it was, it's like you said, kind of just hits all those boxes of learning different ways to, um, to navigate the business um, because that's as much a part of it as, you know, as you're writing and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, he's, He's great, man. I, I all of his one-liners. Um, you know, some of them have escaped me at this point, but he, yeah, he was. He's a great. He's a great guy to, to to sort of learn from. His favorite thing was feeling fresh, feeling clean. Fresh, feeling clean. Yep, <laughs> as if he had yeah. just gotten out of the shower every time he saw him. <laughs>
0: yeah, it was because of uh, so a track. meet he or somebody saw in track is where he got that saying that like, track athlete was interviewed after how you feeling he's like feeling fresh feeling clean that became oh company. is that the origin of it okay
1: see i never heard the origin of it
0: yeah and his yeah one of his email I mean, he, email addresses was based on a park in a city he lived in <laughs> of course it was an aol address if you know thomas that's perfectly fitting
1: Right, right. The other thing, the other line I remember is when he would he would describe food um, in like press boxes as perfectly edible. Um, That was, you know, that was another one when he did eat. Sometimes he'd bring his own lunch or whatever. But I always thought that was funny, too.
0: Thomas, going to a restaurant with Thomas was one of my favorite experiences. And anytime a waiter or waitress would come up with no notepad, I'd be like, listen, I don't know if that's your thing, but you got no chance. Because he'd be like, I want water, no lemon. Do you have lemon? Yeah. What about carrots? Do you have carrots? Yeah, we do. I don't want carrots. He would go through the list of things he didn't want and tell him not to include those to the point where <laughs> the eyes would just glaze over. And I would literally, so anytime he would finish ordering, I would literally be like, I'll just get a salad <laughs> and a ham. Yeah. Like whatever the most basic, whatever the special yeah. was, I want that. Because I want a chance that my order's right. His had zero <clears throat> chance of being right every time we went out. We did
1: have you were going to have a modification or two, but then after that, you're just like, okay, just, just give me the like plain burger or, you know, whatever, (laughs)
0: nothing on it. And salad, I don't even need dressing. Just give me a fork. I'll eat like a rabbit. Well, you go on from that. You ended up at Texas tech uh, in Lubbock covering uh, hoops. How'd you, so you do that. Talk to our listeners a little bit about that and how you ended up back in Colorado.
1: Yeah, I I think so. Just the, um, uh, um, You know, kind of as it was when I finished that internship, that was, it was just sort of that cast a wide net and see, see what you can get out there. And, um, you know, it's kind of interesting just how like the, uh, the different, um, every, every employer might be looking for some different thing in your past. And it was, it turned out that at Texas, uh, the the newspaper there at the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, um, they had seen that I had worked for rivals um, for a brief period of time when I was in college. But the funny thing about that is that I I they kind of viewed it as like, oh, you know how to cover recruiting, which, you know, we're, that's newspapers were getting beat pretty bad by these upstart companies. And we're trying to figure out a way to do it. But I hadn't really covered recruiting. I really just covered like ASU or whatever. Um, but I just said, yeah, you know, I, I you know, I know how to you know, do that or whatever. And, um, you know, so you just kind of learn on the job. And um, I spent 18 months out there. I covered the, the, the university's basketball team and eventually the football team right when Cliff Kingsbury got hired. Um, was sort of like the end of my time there. Uh, at, I want to say spring of 2013. Um, and I just left because my my now wife, her and I had been dating long distance and I just wanted to move back. I had loved it here when I interned. Uh, I have some family here and I was just kind of like taking a leap of faith that I would be able to find something. And um, I don't know if you remember this, but you were actually the one that, that said, hey, they, they have this spot at the post. It's for like a part-time agate clerk. So it's like, it's below what you've been doing. Like it's, it's definitely like, not like the end all, but you know, get in, put your foot in the door and, you know, and then just kind of do your thing. And that's, that's how it worked. I started at the post in June or July of 2013. Um, you know, for about two or three years, I was doing that, you know, doing the agate, doing the desk stuff at night and then like writing it whenever I could, uh, whenever they would give me a chance to do that. And, um, eventually got a full-time writing job there. And, um, you know, did that for two years, covered Rockies, CU football, and then eventually the Nuggets, um, and then the Broncos for 2017, um, Vance Joseph's first season and, uh, yeah. And then and started, started, at the athletic in 2018, so yeah, it's, um, it, it, you know, and that's kind of the thing I always say is just like, just take something. If, if you believe in your kind of your, your, you know, your ability, your work ethic, you know, you'll make it, you know, for yourself, but, um, yeah, it's kind of just wild how it worked out.
0: Yeah. I don't recommend many people. I'll be honest. Cause some of I, I like, but I just don't see the work ethic. And when I saw you on the baseball beat, I knew you could do it. Like that's, if you can do the baseball beat, you can do almost any beat cause you can't fake it. Like cause you're, yeah. it's a daily grind. And I remember when Torn Berge asked me about that. I'm like, I got a guy. I mean, he's, been a beat writer, so this isn't ideal, but I know eventually he could help us, you know, and he would do great work. And I was so happy to see, not only got on, but uh, eventually you were riding. And that's led us to this point where we're covering the Broncos and their marvelous quarterback situation. A lot of success we've had here last few years. But Nick, we, we finally, we go to the end of OTAs and mandatory minicamp today. What are some of your takeaways as you've seen this team now? We saw basically five media viewing periods. And what are you yeah. your takeaways, starting with the quarterback between Teddy, two gloves, Bridgewater and drew one sleeve, uh, one sleeve lock?
1: <laughs> well, it always has to start there, of course. Um, you know, and, and I, I start with Drew just as, as sort of the incumbent. I'll kind of go there. Um, and, and what I wrote today, just as this was wrapping up is, um, you know, look, hit, what, what happened from what happens when at the end of July? until the start of the season, that's where he's going to, that's going to be his audition. Right. Um, you know, Vic Fangio threw out two to 3%. I don't know how you quantify how much you're really evaluating, but you know, it, I, I think the whole point was like, there's a lot of this to go. And, and the Broncos, you know, whether you agree with this or not, they're going to do this sort of 50, 50 down the middle um, training camp battle. You know, I, I think there are some, cons to that that might outweigh some of the pros but th- but that's where they're going that's how they're doing it um and so that's where drew locks audition will be and so my thing today was i think when you look back at it from the end of last season kind of the way that he closed the last couple games sort of the ownership i think he took for some of the failings that that he you know that he contributed to the offense's uh, overall failings and just the way that he handled that the way that sort of he didn't um you know didn't kind of say anything didn't make any kind of um, noise as they started to explore other quarterback options uh, very publicly of course and, and and then when we kind of come to find out the way that he did approach the offseason this you know three times a day film study this this getting up early this very regimented thing and my takeaway was listen it's not that he was not taking the job seriously last year it's not that he didn't have the work ethic but I my takeaway from it was pretty clearly he learned that there was another level that he didn't, I think, realize that you had to be if you wanted to be a start, a successful starting NFL quarterback. And so at the end of the day, I, I think what we saw, even though his, his performances during those five practices we saw certainly weren't perfect by any stretch. Um, but I just think the overall approach and, and sort of the overall kind of professionalism from him, you kind of can, you can see it in, in talking to people and just kind of observing what we have been able to observe at this point. That was kind of my big takeaway of like, He's checked those boxes. Will it mean anything come July? We'll have to wait and find out. But I think he's put his best foot forward so far.
0: Yeah, and I think you're right, Nick, that when you're the quarterback of an NFL team now, you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And you have to eat it, sleep it, breathe it. It's a different level of commitment. And it's not across the board. If you're a linebacker or a cornerback, you invest in your body and you work out. But when you're the quarterback of an NFL team, you're in front of the camera more than most. You define their image more than most. And Locke worked hard the previous offseason. I mean, with OTAs, it was a little bit clearly interrupted and 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 clumsy and clunky, but he worked hard. But I, I, you pointed out perf- uh, perfectly is that it's a different level of commitment. It is yeah. almost maniacal, frankly, and how these top quarterbacks treat the position, whether it's Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning. And I think, Drew, we've seen that where you say take he's taken ownership and he's also said – This is kind of who I want to be. I want to make this my life now. I I get it, and you know, and I see it's paid some dividends. It's really for me. He's got to be consistent. I put everything back to baseball. On Tuesday, he had a day where he's like three for four with a two-run home run and a game-winning RBI late in the game, and then the next day he has a pick six, and it wasn't terrible, but he's got to find a way because his ceiling's higher than Teddy. And I'm going to ask you this, but Teddy's floor is a lot higher than Drew. And that's where that, – somewhere yeah. they got to find a quarterback in between that. So I'll go then next to that is what have you seen from Teddy? It's our first time seeing him. Certainly he's got a, more of a track record than Drew. He's been in the league longer. What are your impressions from seeing Teddy?
1: Well, you, I, I, think you, I think I saw something you, you wrote or put on Twitter said um, calmer than a lagoon, and I thought that was a pretty accurate way to assess him. I've really enjoyed like, – the, the I think twice now we've talked to him – um, and I, the way that I kind of thought of it is, T- Teddy is a guy that he's—you're he, he, going to want to be around him when he's sixty, like sitting on the porch, just telling stories, because he is just like just this most like calm, um, you know, good storyteller. Just sort of like smile on his face. Um, he's not like he's not disturbed by by anything. I mean, here, here's a guy who um, you know signed the big deal with Carolina last year. That this was kind of his big chance. After the, the really solid stint as a backup in uh, in New Orleans with that five zero record while Drew Brees was out, um, you know he, he's a guy that got signed by the Jets and then sent away before he even got a chance to play after they drafted Darnold, who oh by the way is the guy that he lost his. I mean, and yet all these things have happened, and you know we don't we don't know the conversations or whatever frustrations he might he might hold that that he shares with you know privately, but um, I, I just think his in a competition now that he's going to have um, a, he's done it before, but B just his overall demeanor is going to serve him well because um, he's not going to have these situations where he has a couple bad days or he has a bad day, a bad day and a half. And he just kind of goes in, into the tank. That That's not what he's going to do. And, and I think we've already kind of seen that if, you know, a couple overthrows here or there, and it really doesn't bother him. He, he continues to kind of come at it. Nothing spectacular. And I, I don't, I don't sense that he's kind of the guy that you would see in training camp anyway, that's going to just wow you. Um, but, but certainly I think he's, he's well equipped for this situation just given his demeanor.
0: Yeah. Can boring be beautiful. I mean, I, I, like Teddy, the person, I've talked to former teammates of his, they love the guy. And you can see why, like you said, he could see him sitting on a porch telling a story. He's a guy you want in a foxhole with you. He, in terms of leadership He checks every box. And he does have a calming presence when I talk to players about him. Um, You know, again, ball security with him is job security. And can he be a better version of Case Keenum? Because when Case was here, Case basically threw those three picks in the opener uh, that first season with Denver. He stopped throwing interceptions and he stopped taking chances. You know, he just stopped taking any chances. He never threw touchdowns as well. So, but you know, and we'll keep an eye on Aaron Rodgers. How intrigued are you by the Rodgers story? I'm for one, like until it's a non-story, it's a story. I'm not writing about it every day, but it's very clear to me that Aaron Rodgers is dug in here. So how do you see the Aaron Rodgers story? How does that shape your coverage?
1: Well, it, uh, uh, yeah, it, well, I'll start with how it shapes my, my personal life is that you tell, you know, I I'm, I'm taking next week off. Right. Uh, I had, um, you know, cover, helped cover the nuggets during this basketball round. We just got done with, with all this stuff, the draft. So I'm I'm going to take a week off here starting, um, you know, starting on Monday. And, uh, but the, all that caveat, of course, is I told my wife, like, we can go places, but I can't go anywhere where I don't have cell phone reception because, you know, if this word, if this is the break, it's something that you have to be prepared for. Um, you know, in turn, you know, the way that I approach it coverage wise was listen, and I'm with you. Like. He's out there. He's saying he doesn't want to play for Green Bay. He didn't show up to mandatory minicamp. There's no sign that this is getting resolved anytime soon. And so, like, it's definitely a story. It's definitely a possibility. Denver is one of a handful of teams that has the necessary salary cap, the necessary young uh, young players that uh, would be part of a deal. And so they would be in the mix, and that's the bottom line. And so it's a situation where, yeah, like, I'm not writing about it every day. I'm approaching it as, listen, this, these are the quarterbacks on their roster. We're going to write about this battle, but it's definitely something that is a part of the the grander scheme. Um, And, you know, to me, it's just like, yeah, you have to have it on the back burner at all times. You're, you know, you're waking up every morning saying, did it happen at 3. a.m. And I missed it. It's right. And it's the way it goes here on this beat, even when the Broncos aren't winning um, they're never not like interesting. They're never not in on something. So Um, Yeah, I mean, how do you view it? Yeah, I mean,
0: again, the Rodgers thing for me, it's intriguing because you have a GM saying he would be nimble, and he's in on every deal. He knows everybody, and they have a need. They have salary cap space. They could accommodate a trade through the draft picks. It would hurt. They'd probably have to give up a player like a Jerry Judy, someone you'd hate to see go, but... I mean, there's no untouchables. You can't have them all, but there's no untouchables. Would the Packers just get really petty and say, fine, sit out the season, and there's going to be a greater market for you next year? Maybe. I mean, there would be a greater market, but he'd also be 38 sitting out a season. I think there'd be a greater number of teams but there would be fewer picks going back. So instead of two ones, yeah. two twos and a player, it'd be more like two ones, one, two, and maybe not even a player. I think the package would change, but as we focus on it, that means maybe Deshaun Watson will come back into the picture if his legal issues get resolved. Right. That's the other one too. I mean, again, that one I'm not as yeah. comfortable with. If I'm the Broncos, I would have to vet that in ways because they've done so many good things off the field pr- promoting women to the highest level. Uh, of their football operations. You could have a woman owner in Brittany Bolin. I would have to be yeah. very comfortable with Deshaun Watson. Uh, but they that's the one I would literally, when it was available, if he were, I would give up almost anything because he's 26. Rodgers' age, I think, changes the compensation yeah. package if he were to sit out a year. I don't think he does. I think they trade him like in late August or September, like they put him in a tough position where he just joins a team like seven days before the first game. That's what I think is going to happen.
1: I I still like I, my I still think that Aaron Rodgers is going to play for the Packers next year, and and maybe that's maybe that's naive, uh, because certainly the you know the back and forth um, hasn't pointed in that direction. Um, but I, I just you know I, I just think that they're going to put it, put together a contract that he wants. Um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll make amends and, you know, it, it's, it's look, he's been there f- forever and, and they probably are right now still his best chance of winning, uh, winning another title. Now, if he were to come here and then they didn't have to give up, a, you know, too much that really like damage, you know, cause if you say, Hey, we'll give you, uh, Aaron Rodgers but we want Jerry Judy, Noah Fant Javante Williams, like all of a sudden you're like, well, what am I gonna, what am I going to work with? Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, I, I mean and I could definitely be, I could definitely be missing the mark on this. I just, I just ultimately think it's, they're going to find a way to get it, to get it done, um, and and bring him back and make that amends. But, um, you know, certainly won't be stunning if that isn't the case.
0: So you're, you're saying they're going to avoid the divorce and stay together for the kids for one
1: more year. (laughs) I'm not sure about that. Stay together. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not, you know, like I said, it's 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 not it's nothing more for me than like just kind of a, a gut thing, um, because like you I mean, it certainly isn't pointing in that direction. I, I mean, he's you know, they're they're just in I mean, the pettiness like he's wearing a T-shirt that says I'm offended um, based on, uh, you know, Mark Murphy uh, calling him a complicated fellow, or at least we think that's what the connection is. I'm um, I mean, interested to see what the, what's going to come out of the match when they're mic'd up in that thing. Um,
0: yeah. Exactly. It's just. Awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. It's fascinating. It's, it makes for interesting fodder between now and training camp. Well, what are some of the other things that jumped out? Who are, you know, when you look at uh, what you've seen these five weeks, Let's look at what are one or two players or things you saw, Nick, that are encouraging for Broncos country, reasons for optimism when there's been, you know, as we know, five years without the playoffs, four straight losing seasons for the first time in decades. What do you see as reasons for optimism when you were out there?
1: Well, I just think this secondary is going to be nails. Um, it, it's hard for me to think that that group is not going to be really good, barring, of course, injury, um, and because, you know, Kyle Fuller, Missed the majority of the, um, the off-season program. I think he didn't, he show up uh, the week before mandatory minicamp began. Yeah. Um, and I, I one of his first plays in team, um, you know, pass across the middle. He You know, he closes on it, knocks the pass down. Um, you know, Patrick Sertan the second has looked really, really good. I, I think, you know, obviously the requisite size. They've been using him in all kinds of different, um, you know, places on the field. I really think he's going to kind of be – you know, they're going to try to use him as a Swiss Army knife even more, I think, than Alabama did because, you know, Alabama just didn't need to. Um, I, so you, you add that, I think, I mean, Justin Simmons has looked, you know, as sharp as, as, as he had, did to end last season. I think he's he's been really good. It's just a group that I think is really, really deep to where they're going to, they can survive an injury or two, which they didn't have the benefit of last year. So, um, you know, and you asked Vic uh, about what that does for him. He says, we're going to be able to play a little bit more press man coverage. And if they do that, well, you, you, we, we know very well what that can do, right. That, that could be, I think the real key to fixing this, this turnover problem where Denver's defense, you know, as good as it is, um, has been near the bottom of uh, the forced turnover category in the league the last two years. So I mean, much have- of that has to do with the fact that they're playing from behind and, and teams. Are- right.
0: They had 16 takeaways, Nick, last year. Simmons had six yeah. and they had four in the last game. Like to me, if they don't have like yeah. 11, if they need like 15 picks, 25 takeaways part of that is can we please have a functional offense but don't you think 15 picks is realistic with this secondary
1: yeah it should be it absolutely should be because um you go to the front line and you expect that that pass rush uh to be better i think vaughn is a big mystery um I, i really don't know um you know, can he get back to what they, they were convinced last year. And I think any of us who got to see him in training camp kind of carried that same view that he was ready to, to kind of put that, you know, poor by his standard 2019 season behind him, that he was going to bounce back double digit sacks, all pro kind of performance. And it, he looked the part, he, he certainly had the attitude, um, you know, it kind of, I think it'll be interesting to see come the end of July, just sort of how he looks, what his mindset is and whether he can be that guy. But if he is, then to, to kind of get back to that point, um, you know, Malik Reed led the team in sacks last year. Bradley Chubb was a, was a pro bowler, um, you know, kind of in a water down year, but was a pro bowler, uh, another year removed from his ACL. So that's a group you say there, there's no reason to think, especially when you talk about the interior then. Um, Shelby Harris, Draymond Jones is just going to be better this year. Um, so there's, I think, a lot of optimism there that the, the parts, that's as you know so well, that the, the 2015 defense – what made them so good is is kind of all those parts kind of coming together. They actually have to do it. This team does, but like I think on paper and, and sort of the early signs are that they can have that thing that meshes where having that front of the line do its job and, and the secondary kind of doing the same thing on the back end. They just kind of like it's a it's a perfect marriage. Um, that to me is is sort of the ceiling. That's that's sort of the optimist, the half glass full view. Um, but I think we've seen like little kernels of that so far that that, that could be the situation for them. What, what's been your what's what, where do you, you kind of start when you kind of step back and examine the last five weeks?
0: Well, I mean, clearly they're defensively, they have a chance to be special, but only if their offense gives them a chance to be special by that. I mean, play even or play with the lead. I looked up over the last two years, they're one in 15 when trailing at halftime. I mean and that just eliminates chances for sacks and takeaways and I saw this even when Chris Harris was still there um, and you had Vaughn but their best players were non-factors because they were trailing and because it's third and eight and the other team's on its own 28-yard line they're up 17 to 7 in you know middle of the fourth quarter That's they're just going they're going to run the football You know, how many shots is Vaughn getting, you know, they may pass 34 times of that, like three to four are really good sack opportunities. And that's why, but we saw in that Jets game last year, Jets are desperate. They're trying to win. All of a sudden, Bradley Chubb looks like the best player on the field. That's where a functional offense mean playing even heck even have a lead once in a while. That's where this defense could be special. I think Vic is going to be creative with the defense. Um, my optimism is is certainly tempered by the quarterback situation. But what I, one guy I'm bullish on is Jerry Judy. And I've, I've been ride or die yeah. with Judy because of his talent. I've said he's better in space than NASA. This guy gets it done. And he if he just eliminates the drops, you know, and Nick, that's what, when you ask me, what do I see? I haven't seen him have a drop in five viewing periods. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. But Judy took it personally. And that's what I, that yeah. second, when a guy as a superstar struggles and you've covered so many different athletic sports, do they pout? Do they make excuses? Do they blame people or do they just take ownership and say, this is on me? And that's what I've seen from Judy. What have you seen from Judy? And what do you see from that offense that jumps to you aside from the quarterbacks?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think I'm, absolutely. I mean, he's, he has been hands down the star of, of the, the five practices they've seen those like probably adds up to, you know, six, seven hours of, um, you know, on field time. I mean, just, just completely locked in in June and, and he's been the favorite target of either quarterback if he's on the field while they're throwing. Um, and, you know, Vic has said this multiple times. I, I thought that it was interesting that he said it really, even in the aftermath of that, that terrible game against the chargers in Los Angeles where um, I think the official record was six drops, and you know says, "Listen, this this can be a turning point moment in his career." And you know the the well, we have to he has a lot of career left to know that's true. But the fact that he had you know five you know five for one forty and a ninety two yard touchdown uh, in that last game, um, you couldn't have asked for I think a better way to end it. And it does you know we, I think we talked about this the other day, like. Uh, how much can you really catapult a week, the 17 game in the middle of January or beginning part of January, all the way to September? But I just do think for his, you know, just kind of overall approach, he has been, you know, absolutely locked in. And if you look at that, you know, I think two of the drops were in that opener, two really bad ones. That had he made another one, they win that game because they run out the clock. I was going back over that game the other day, um, looking up something, and I ended up watching the last half of the fourth quarter. I can't I still don't like comprehend how they lost that game the situations that they had the advantageous clock situations that they had um to where all you need to do is like make one first down or like get one you know just I mean a million things could have happened differently that they could have won it um, or your coach they, could have called a timeout yeah. Coach could have called a timeout all that could have all that could have worked too um and but anyway, so so you had that game and then the week fifteen game. He, he wasn't perfect, obviously, in between those two. But I, I think that um, certainly, I, I think the fact that so many were in that one game at the end of the season, it was on it. I, I do think that exasperated some of it about just how much he did drop the ball. Um, he had his issues, of course, but um, yeah, it, it is, if he if he, as long as he cleans that up, I think there's very little doubt that he's going to be. Um, fantastic the, you know the, the only really other takeaway that I have um, offensively is I, I am just curious about how the offensive line will ultimately shake out I, I'm curious what you think about this I you know we kind of they're saying that Lloyd Cushenberry and Quinn Miners are in a battle for that center spot I, I'd be really surprised if that truly is a camp battle that, that you know Cushenberry is not going to going to win um, you know, Vic said his biggest thing, he needed to get bigger. And we saw that early in the year. He got pushed around a lot. That, that was a big part of his problem. Um, but, but I, I think just as you're trying to get continuity overall, you just did the thing where you had a rookie center, you know, dealing with all that. Um, do you really want to go back to that? Well, I, I'm kind of curious your thought on, on how the kind of that will shake up or anything else on the line.
0: Well, I honestly, I thought before they drafted minors, they were going to move Glasgow to center and put Mute at guard. Because Cushenberry, great guy, smart kid, you know, the work ethic's there. He got pushed around, as you mentioned, those first eight games. I mean, he ranked essentially as the worst center in football. If you, you know, take pro football focus with a grain of salt. But they do the homework, and they do watch the film. They don't know assignments, so it gets tricky. But you can see that he did struggle the first eight games, and that really affected his overall grade for the season. But he's put on weight. He's taken personally. He's taken ownership of his failures. I just don't see a scenario where Miners, who's never played center in a game, I don't think at any level. I just don't see him doing it. And he, he's coming from Division Three to do go from never playing center, Division Three, missing all of last season, and starting in an NFL game. If that were to happen, it would be later in the season. If Cushionberry were to struggle or you know maybe you know rolls an ankle or something, I don't see it. They need Glasgow to play better, honestly, based on his contract. Yeah. I mean, he gets. I'm not saying he gets a free pass, but. You know, I got 26 million guaranteed. I mean, we we rip on Juwan James. I got along with James personally, but I mean, he was 63 snaps for whatever it was, 17 million. I get why fans are furious with the guy, but Glasgow wasn't very good last year in terms of the money. I mean, and that's how that does fit part of it. So he's got to be better. You know, I think Reisner's shoulder bothered him more than he would ever let on, and he struggled at times. So healthy Reisner, Glasgow in the system for second year, and you Glasgow, and then you've got. Uh, Cushionberry improving I think the I mean but right tackle I've said this I mean the the right tackle position of this team is like spinal tap to drummers can we get a guy Nick can we get one guy that just like plays it for 12 games
1: can you finish one tour can you finish one tour with us before we have to replace replace the drummer
0: One tour, but we come walking out to the little <laughs> Cleveland. No, man, yeah. we're not in Cleveland. Where are we? <laughs> but I, who do you like at right tackle? I mean, uh, I'll ask, I'll ask... I mean, I
1: really don't know. Just simply because we haven't seen, you know, we haven't seen, um, you know, Bobby Massey out there. Not that we would gain a whole lot, I think, from from you know, offensive line play during OTAs,
0: <laughs> right? But,
1: you know, but I, I think they brought him in here to be that guy. Um, okay. You know, has the experience. You know, you do worry that the, he's missed, um, you know, I, I believe it's uh, 14 games over the last two years combined or, or uh, 12 to 14, somewhere in that range. Um, so, so you worry about that a little bit. Obviously, he's getting up there a little bit in terms of his career longevity. Um, but, but I think all things equal, um, all, all, all people healthy. Um, that should that should be their guide. But it definitely does look like, to me, the question isn't who's going to start at right tackle, it's, it's how many guys are going to have to play there. Uh, because you know. that's that's been the story last year. Um, you know, you had starts by Elijah Wilkinson, Demar Dotson, um, Calvin Calvary. Anderson started right tackle. Did Jake Rogers didn't make a start there. I don't I don't believe, but he did. Um, I think
0: the year before. I think it
1: was the year before, right? So they had the, the, the three starters there. I, I think you know I, I put it in a story that I wrote the other day. I think it's six six in the last two years alone have started at right tackle. I mean that's just too many players to shuffle into that, to expect to have any continuity. Um, you know, one, one thing that one, that this narrative that, you know, there certainly were a lot less penalties. I was stunned by this. I looked, I looked it up that, um, in 2019, there were 23 tackles who had at least five holding calls against them. Uh, in 2020, there were only five that had that number that had at least five. And it was only five. Like they, they, they didn't have six or seven or eight. Um, so there was a drastic reduction in the amount of holding calls now, was that an emphasis of the league? Was that you know because no fans in the stadium, tackles were able to kind of hear and communicate better. Whatever the question, you know, whatever it is that it might be, but I don't like I don't worry about that with Garrett Bowles. That 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 his ability to kind of drastically reduce his penalties was a function of um, you know just the league calling less of them or or crowd noise because you know just the way that he closed 2019, um, you know, he had figured that out. And then when you when you pair that with what he did in 2020. That gives additional context. Like he, you know, that 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 goes to show you that that's really where the light bulb started to turn. So to me, um, he, you know, you have a breakthrough season, you got to follow it up. That's an important part of it. But I, I don't really worry about Garrett Bowles um, having any kind of regression. I, I think this this is who he is. Um, and so, like,
0: honest, if they're going to be any good at all, like nine and eight, ten and seven, their stars have to be stars. If he has a regression, I mean, they are in huge trouble. I don't see it because. They, he did benefit from the league de-emphasizing holding calls, especially away from the ball. But when you watched like how he got holding calls before last year, we didn't see that extra, you know, throwing a guy when the running back's ten yards. Like you just the way he got holding calls, he eliminated some of that. So to your point, where how he played at the end of nineteen and twenty. Now the crowd's going to be a factor. It just always is, especially on the road, obviously. But I I don't think there'll be an issue with Bulls. He's he's there's a maturity there. That is developed, and he frankly, if their stars have to be stars, or they have no yeah. chance, and that, and that
1: well, first... both reminds me a little bit of you know, it's kind of a funny comparison to make because of the way that his season just ended. But Nicole Jokic, early in his career, was um, you know that that was his Achilles heel that that he emotion, would at times right? allow his emotion to kind of like completely take him out of his game that was otherwise, you know, th- there was no question about his game. It was always going to be solid. Um, and he, he worked hard, like, from the maturity angle to just really, like, thicken his skin. Year after year, he got better at handling those situations. Um, you know, of course, the timing, of course, is that he <laughs> gets ejected from the final game of his MVP season because of he made a, you know, he made an emotional call. Whether he should have been ejected, you know, that, that's up for debate. But he certainly made an emotional decision to, to slap Cameron Payne uh or you know just to slap the ball really hard and hit, hit Cameron Payne but um I, I that's what I see with bowls as well like you're absolutely right like then the, the stuff that this guy got in your skin or he hit you a little bit late and, and you turn that into a you know frustration that kind of got away from you um you know he's, he's still he still gets heated I, I think it was after that Jets game when uh gosh that last like minute took oh, like yeah, an hour it got
0: ugly yeah <laughs>
1: and he was you know he was one of the first guys up there so he I, he hasn't lost that edge but i just think that he's done a better job harnessing it and uh yeah you're right he'll need to have another season just like last year
0: well you said you know Jokic got Jokic got tossed i'm pretty sure if that had been lebron they would have thrown out pain for his face getting in the way of lebron's fist right i mean they would have been like pain you're out
1: you're trying to suggest some sort of like you know star big market bias in the nba i yeah what? no way <laughs> so
0: before we, and I'm joined by Nick Kosmider from The Athletic, I've known Nick for years. I guess it has been 10 years. I didn't realize, man, I'm, I'm old. I'm really old. I got yeah. one son's graduated college. Another one's going to be graduating soon. So I'm old and you're a first time. And father, I'm so happy for you and your family. Uh, I can't think of someone to be a better dad, but I'm spinning off onto that. You still have habits and one of them is your, your sneaker habit. You're a sneaker head what tell people how'd you get into it and what is your favorite pair you're wearing a pair of adidas that had legos in them at training camp or whatever we're at otas i mean your your yeah. sneaker game is on point where did this come from yeah. And how many pairs what's your favorite you got to let us know
1: yeah I, I like i you know i was just always you know i grew up like basketball was my thing growing up and i i think that that my, my first i think pair of sneakers that i really remember was uh you know, the, the shack Gnosis ones, remember the the shack had that shoe that was like, it looked like a, a time glass. It was like white and the black stripes. Um, and, and so I was just like, I just kind of got hooked by the, like the culture of it all. Of course, now that I wouldn't be caught dead in that shoe because it's terrible, but, um, you know, that, that was sort of how it started. And then, um, you know, just always kind of being a Jordan fan and and uh collecting it. I'll show you. I your your listeners won't see this because it's not video, but I, this is the first thing I put up in oh, my
0: nice in the new house here, right? Yeah,
1: my my wife is like, You get to you get to do the office. It's basically a poster, it's called a visual, um, you know, just sort of a, a chart of all these like sneakers and i am not definitely have this, but you can see this is the uh I probably can't point the camera t- to it. Oh yeah. But yeah, there's the Shack shoe I was talking about, but um, <laughs> yeah, it. the Shack Gnosis, that's what it was called. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's just something like it's always been a hobby, um, a hobby of mine. I, I told, I was telling Jeff Legwald, he, the Broncos ESPN report the other day because he was giving me a hard time about, about it, but definitely, I'm sure you knew this too. When you had kids, like your hobbies tend to take a back seat. So yeah. I've definitely yeah. been like, um, pumping the brakes on it quite a bit The the uh, lego ones that you were actually sitting right here that uh
0: those are fantastic those are fantastic
1: <laughs> yeah so those are those are a gift um but I, i've otherwise tried to temper now i just like I, I put it on i i put it on my uh my son Camden. he's got he's probably got three or four pairs of jordans now so How you know old is that's he he's two he's two, he turned two on may 1st so oh, he fantastic. uh so
0: he's already had yeah the Jordan, obviously
1: yeah, already has. We have one matching pair that we have. Um, that we try. I try to rock as much as I can right now because I know he'll grow out of it in like a couple more months. But uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things. You buy a new house and all of a sudden you're my habit is just going to turn into art. It's just going to now be like sneaker art, and that's that's what I can afford.
0: <laughs> that's how when we had kids. Like I, I stopped golfing. Uh, I mean, I stopped yeah. like buying music. I like, just so many things in your life change, but you don't regret it because you're doing stuff for your kids. So you look up and you're just right. like. That is just, it's just such a different feeling when you're doing stuff for kids that any things you had before just kind of just dissolve naturally and you just kind of forget about it. But you got the poster right, yeah. and you got the shoes.
1: Yeah. That's why I should have been professional, you know, these professional athletes, they can, you know, have, have their cake and eat it too. Their kids are, their kids are flossed out and they still get to have all their hobbies. Uh, you know, I guess, I guess that has its perks.
0: Well, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. It's one of the cool things. I know you love basketball, but we have bringing you back onto the beat when Nikki uh, Javala, both a friend of ours who went to the Washington Post, uh, that stunk to see her go, but a byproduct of uh, that was you rejoining the Broncos beat. I love having you around. I'm hoping we have a normal media room. I enjoy the camaraderie of the media room. Yeah. I enjoy the debate and the banter. I mean, I don't let like to get along with everyone, but I just love the conversation. And, and certainly when you're around, you and I have similar interests in all basically all the sports, you know, certainly baseball, basketball and football. Yeah. So I can't wait yeah. to get back in that media room.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to actually being on the road this year, which I know we we, we both missed last year. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, you just want to be there. That's the best way to, to bring it uh, to the fans. is how you build the relationships. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be, I think, a lot better for, for those who consume the sport. I, I think it's trending in the right direction. Um, you know, the PFWA has done a good job. I think, um, you know, w- with what they have to try to to try to get these, you know, protocols to be a little bit more favorable to um, you know, to the media that's done their part, gotten vaccinated and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm ready for it. Ready for ready for this break for ne- for the next week, but then uh, we'll get right back at it. Yeah, no trades.
0: No, yeah, no trades.
1: Aaron, you stay in Green Bay or Hawaii or wherever we are, will yeah, we'll for that.
0: <laughs> Nick, it's uh, been a pleasure, my man. I'll see you uh, hopefully in a few weeks. Uh, we got to sit down, have coffee, hang out. Uh, now that every life's returning to
1: normal, sounds great, Troy. Thanks, appreciate it.
0: Thanks for joining me on the Believe in Broncos podcast. I am your host, Troy Rank. Thanks. In large part, to all of you who listen, the, the subscribers and those who are downloading, the support has been just fantastic through these first seven, eight weeks. I really appreciate it. It means a lot. Thanks to my guest, Nick Kosmider. Uh Nick's a great guy. I read his stuff at The Athletic. Uh, he does not only the daily reporting, but gets into the in-depth stories. He did one on Kendall Hinton that was just fantastic. Another one on Drew Locke. Uh, where he played, and looked at uh, Drew's basketball ability. Uh, Nick has just done some amazing pieces, and you can find his work on The Athletic. Also, like to thank my presenting sponsor, Superbook Sports. Again, they're going to have an opening of Superbook Sports at the Lodge Casino up there in Blackhawk on June 25th. Check that out if you have a chance. Thanks to Darby Hoggett as well, my friend. He's the first sponsor. This show would not have started if not for Darby's support. And finally, for my son Dagan, thank you to him for producing this podcast and turning them around so quickly so we can get two out a week. Well, folks, again, I do this podcast for you and Broncos country. Happiness, that begins with me. Go out there and have a great day.